Welcome back to season two of Conversations with Cohen. As you know, this season, I'm going deep into law firms, trying to help administrators, managing partners, all the folks who run law firms solve for the problems that they're encountering at the moment. Uh, top and center of that list is working remote and helping people with regards to their technology. So today, as you know, I'm bringing, I'm bringing forward uh, subject matter experts to talk about the problems that law firms are having. So today I've got with me Peter Fiddler of WCA Technologies. Uh, as we like to start on Conversations with Cohen, Peter, if you'd introduce yourself to everyone, please. Sure. Thank you, Greg. Uh, I'm Peter Fiddler. Um, I'm president and founder of WCA Technologies. We're a, a boutique consulting firm located on 40th and Broadway. I'm a native New Yorker, been here all my life, and uh, we are uh, supporting law, law firms, not-for-profits, financial firms uh, for over 33 years. Wonderful. Well, thanks so much for, for joining us today. So we're talking about law firm problems, technology front and center uh, when, we, when we're talking about working remotely, right? So that's, um, that seems to be topic du jour. And I think first and foremost is the integrity of data, uh, all of that information that lives within, within a, a law firm from proprietary client information to uh, to the conversations that are are held between uh, attorneys and their clients. So, hoping you can help us understand how law firms can uh, can secure all of that data to maintain the integrity of it, and also the uh, uh, make sure there's no slippage or leakage of that. So that that is a great question, Greg. You know, we, we've been working with a lot of our law firms and the ones that have been making more investments in technology and equipment have been most successful. And what does that mean? That means that instead of a partner or an associate or even a paralegal working on their own computer, they're working on the firm's computer. And what that does is it actually extends the firewall, the protections that protect you inside the office now can protect you outside the office. So now you're working within the software and hardware stack that is supported by the, the firm. And what it does is it does a couple of things. One is it, it makes your uh, computing experience uh, very secure. The second thing is it makes sure that the data of the firm sort of stays within the firm. So it's you're not working on a personal laptop or sending emails on a personal laptop. Everything is happening on a firm um, laptop or piece of equipment. What's the um, what's been the hesitation or um, the concern? For adopting that, so the the concern is for some firms is, and there's really been a debate about you your the BYOD, which is bring your own device, and there are certain ways you can do it successfully, and ways you can't do it successfully. If if you do it successfully, um, you you need to have the lawyers 
work within a what I'll call a sandbox environment, so to segregate it from the rest of the house. But a lot of firms are not making that investment or they, they're very hesitant to make that investment. And they just say, you know, what use whatever you want. Um, and, uh, and you know, as long as you get your work done, you put your time entries in, um, you know, we're happy. The, the danger is once a firm, you know, allows a, a an attorney or associate or a paralegal to work like this. Now you have something called data leakage. So now your data is all over the place. It's on that local laptop. If you don't control it, there's other areas. Lawyers will do anything possible to get their work done. So if that means installing another piece of software or another cloud technology, like a Dropbox or something that is what I'll call non-firm sponsored, they'll try to do it. And then what happens is now you have your data on a local laptop. Now you have your data in Dropbox. And when you're going back to the office, now you have to sort of go around like a garbage collector and say, okay, bring your laptop in. Let me see what you have on there. And, and that's when you notice that they use the Dropbox, they use some other cloud technology, maybe an ancillary email platform. And now their data needs to be sort of rediscovered and, and put back into place. So, so if I'm uh, if I'm running a firm, is it right to say that that I should have a sort of standard set of protocols um, in place? I'm just trying to think about. Okay, so it sounds like there's a risk there. It sounds like sounds like there's an opportunity for data to be everywhere, and I can't control it as the law firm. Um, so how do I go about getting a, se- a set of protocols in place? Like where do I, where do I start? So you, you, it's all start with standards and create standards, you know, whether it's a standard laptop or standard software stack and say, here are the approved um, hardware, software, and protocols. And what I mean by protocols is how people attach to the office system. And that means you need to be behind a firewall. And the firewall can be either software or hardware, but you need to have something that segments the attorney at home from the rest of the family. You know, the, the, the student who's doing his homework or, or downloading YouTube or whatever else. And what if that person got a virus? What if that person got something infected on their home network. And now you're putting that laptop at risk unless it has the proper protocols in place. So let's, so Peter, sorry to interrupt, but so let's play that out. So let's just, I mean, I'm thinking about it. Okay. That sounds like protocols in place that make sense, uh, but doesn't that cost money? So if it does, I'm trying to understand what my downside is. So uh, I've got one of my uh, my attorneys who's working from home. He's working on the family laptop, and one of the documents gets uh, uh, gets a virus. So, so how does that put me at risk? How does that put my firm at risk? So it really depends on the virus. So if it's a virus that will encrypt the laptop, then you have ransomware on that laptop. So now the attorney doesn't have access to that laptop. That's the first thing. The second thing is, and the way ransomware works is, it not only encrypts it, 
but it also will take that data and put it on the, the dark web. So now you have all the, fir- whatever's located on that laptop is now on the dark web. So you're sort of violating client attorney pr- privilege information because those documents, whether you worked on it in a Word document, Excel spreadsheet, PowerPoint, or even open an email, you open an email that actually will open that document, put that file in a temporary spot. And unless you delete your temporary files, that file is going to still be there. So all that data is at risk. The investment is minimal. The investment is software that will um, protect the laptop. There's antivirus that will protect the laptop. There's firewall information that will, uh, software that will protect the laptop. And I always joke, we, I was trying to, you know, come up with a, a name for, you know, what do all these tools cost? And, you know, the, the cost of these tools are the same as what it would cost for dinner for two. Mm-hmm. You know, just have dinner for two out and that's your monthly cost per attorney. So it's not, it's not thousands of dollars. It's probably around $100, $150 a month. But what you're doing is you're protecting your firm's data and you're, you're ensuring that your client's data is, is being um, protected also. So let's just play that out further. Have we actually ever seen, um, have, we ever seen have we ever seen the integrity of a whole firm uh, be impacted by this? Because it, so- it sounds like if I'm, if, if, if I'm sitting on the other end of this uh, recording and I'm listening, I'm thinking, okay, you know what? Maybe somebody's trying to sell me something. Like uh, I'm trying to think about like what's the real world implications of this? Have we ever seen this in, in live time impact a whole firm? Yes. So it, it, a lot of law firms will not publicize this. You know, it's not part, you know, they'll, they'll sort of keep it quiet, sweep it under the rug to keep it, you know, just out of the press. But, you know, there's a very large firm, DLL Piper. This happened to a number of years ago, where it actually shut the firm down for probably a week, a week and a half. So nobody could log in. Uh, when attorneys went to the, the lobby of the hotel, they said, you know, make sure you don't log into your laptop. So work stopped for a week and a half. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's embarrassing for a law firm. And that's it impacted DLL Piper because, you know, they're sort of a, you know, world renowned firm. But the smaller firms, it's not going to, from a plubis- excuse me, publicity standpoint, not hurt them. Um, so a lot of these things sort of go unreported or underreported because it's embarrassing for a firm to uh, for this to happen to. Well, also it sounds like the uh, not only the credibility but also the concern from the client base of if the integrity of their data, you know, if it, if it could end up somewhere where they just, you know, it shouldn't it shouldn't end up in the hands of people who it shouldn't end up in. So I understand why it doesn't make the uh, the, the press right. It's it's not only embarrassing, but there's also risk, reputational risk. Absolutely. And therefore potential loss of market share and clients. Yes, definitely. Okay. So, so thinking about it, you know, practically, right? So practically, if this all makes sense to somebody and they want to get started in this regard, where do they start? What, what, what do they do first? And they don't have a, let's say they don't have a CTO. 
right? There's a, there's a, there's a firm run by lawyers who they don't have, a, they, they probably outsource their technology. Um, what, what are the questions they should ask to make sure that they're covered? And what should they do practically as the first two or three steps, just to sort of make a step-by-step process for somebody who, who gets overwhelmed by technology. They just, they say, oh, I'm not technologically savvy, so I just don't know what to do. I mean, the first thing you need to do is really take an inventory of what you have, what your resources are, and you do that throughout the entire firm. The second thing, and this will require a professional to come in, is actually do an assessment. And you do an assessment and you you see where the gaps are. And the gaps may be on uh, the type of hardware or the policies and procedures of an organization. So it's not only from a technology standpoint, but it's also policies and procedures and written guidelines of how um, lawyers are supposed to work. Because the worst thing you, you can have is a lawyer saying, I didn't know that, I wasn't aware of that. But if, if they're hard-coded policies and procedures, when an attorney is onboarded into the firm, here are the p- policies and procedures, this is how the firm works, this is how you're supposed to work within the organization, and you have them sign off on it. So that way, the policies and procedures are in place. Once you have those policies and procedures and the gap, you know, you do the gap analysis, then you, what you do is you make business decisions based on the gaps. What is this going to cost me to close the gaps? And what can I do now? And what can, it, what can be put off later? So, and that is going to be dictated by budget and business decisions. So when I'm talking to a law firm about what they need from a technology standpoint, I say, here's what you need. Let's come up with the priorities. Let's put up a budget and let's find out what you could do this year, next year, and the year after. A lot of things are very simple, sort of low-hanging fruit, you know, like training your attorneys. You know, a lot of cyber company, cyber insurance companies out there requiring, you know, that people have cyber training, some type of cyber training. So if they get a particular type of email or text message or something else that they know what to do, what they know what the protocol is. So it's a lot of it is training and training is really not that expensive. Again, it's going to cost a whole lot than a whole lot less than a dinner for two. Right. And it sounds like it's also going to cost a, a whole hell of a lot less than trying to clean up the mess afterwards. Yes. I mean, once you have ransomware, it's, it's a nightmare because now you, you have to look at your backups. You, there are all sorts of things you have to look at. And then you have to make sure that you find out where it came from. Um. You know, as I'm sitting here and we're talking, I'm, I'm also thinking about not only the about the integrity of the uh, of the data that uh, that is exchanged between parties, client and uh, and attorney, but I think about communications. I mean, here we're we're so fortunate to be able to be in two separate offices, be able to to talk to each other. But can you? So this is really twofold: one from the from the client attorney perspective, and two from the culture perspective of an organization, um, whether that be uh, a senior attorney and more junior attorney, or just sort of that collegial atmosphere. And, you know, I'm going to go deep on sort of culture and, uh, and figuring in another episode, thinking about how we can uh, 
improve upon and foster culture in a remote work environment. But from this, from speaking with you, Peter, can you talk about communications and technology, please? Sure. So, I mean, one of the benefits or of this, uh, of what we're going through right now is, is the sort of the acceptance of Zoom calls or Teams calls or whatever you, you, you want to call it. So the video conferencing. So, you know, from a productivity standpoint, you could be much more productive because you're not traveling to a client. You're not traveling, you know, you know, if it's in the, in the city, it's, you know, 20 minutes, a half hour, an hour, you know, one way or both ways. So you, there's a whole lot of, of productivity improvements as a result of the technologies involved. So you can basically do everything you want to do from, from home. And you can, you want to schedule a meeting, you know, you could do it, you could see the person, you could see their facial expression. Um, in terms of protocols, you always want to have your camera on, you want to be able to look into the client or colleagues eyes. Just but is there see. risk? Is there risk to uh, not so, so much? Is, is it something is it something that I should be concerned about running a firm with regards to the communication uh, and, and the information that's exchanged between parties? Uh, um. So so from a video conferencing standpoint, whatever you're doing, you want to make sure it's, it's captured and logged. So from if you're, you've standardized on Zoom, let's say, you want to have a, be able to have an administrator go in and, and capture that time and make sure that w- who you're meeting with is client-related um, and, uh, I mean, if it's from a compliance standpoint, you want every call to be recorded, you know, so you don't want to lose that. So you can lock down the settings, <clears throat> excuse me, on, on Zoom and Teams to make sure that every correspondence or video chat is, is recorded. Um, and that way you have a record of that. Because the worst thing is uh, the he said, she said, or they said, um, depending on how you want to state it now, mm-hmm. um, where you had a meeting, um, you 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 annotated in the meeting, but now you have sort of have that video backup for that. Right. Um, so that's great. So anything that will capture the video, capture the what is what was said, and be able to you save it, catalog it, um, and then it becomes um, a record of the firm. Let me ask you this. Um- so one, if I was a client, right, um, what should I be asking my law firm about what they have with regards to the technology? What's the right question to ask to make sure that the integrity of the data um, is safe? Like, you know, what's that question that you ask? I'm just trying to put it on a, on a, on a plate for somebody. So if I, if I was a client coming into a law firm and I want to make sure my data is in in a place I would ask for their policies and procedures as it relates to data security. And just to make sure that, because if they look at you and go, I don't know what you're talking about. That means it wasn't even part of their, uh, their culture at all. It wasn't even part of the conversation. So that's the first thing I would ask, but I'm coming from a technology standpoint. So a lot of people don't understand that. Well, the second thing I would say is how how are you protecting my data? 
How are you making sure that my data doesn't end up in the wrong hands? How are you backing up my data? You know, where is your, where is your data stored? Is it in a SOC 2 compliant environment? You know, where somebody comes in and audits all your policies and procedures to make sure that your data center is safe and secure? Is it in the cloud? What protections do you have in the cloud? Um, so you, you want to know how a firm would be protecting your data. And so, Peter, just um, as we uh, as we come to uh, to the end here, just you're you're on the front lines as such of uh, of technology, and law firms are such a large uh, client base for you. What are the other things that uh, um, that that are keeping keeping law firms up at night right now with regards to technology? So. I would say ransomware is probably the biggest thing, you know, because what happens is lawyers talk to other lawyers, you know, they're, they're not going to implement a technology unless some other law firm is doing it. You know, it's sort of a copycat um, scenario. So if a law firm says they have ransomware, um, they're going to start to ask questions about it. They want to make sure they protect their client data. They want to protect their, their, their firm's money. And there have been certain instances where a, somebody's email has, has been uh, commandeered and, and you know, asked for wiring instructions. And mm-hmm. you know, for a number of firms have lost money as a result of that. And I'm not talking about like 5,000. I'm talking hundreds of thousands of dollars. So it, it does happen. These cyber criminals are out there to make money. You know, they want to make money and make a lot of it. You know, Bitcoin is is just uh, taken off as a result of that. And a lot of it is for bad reasons. Um, so that's what, you know, it's my client data, ransomware, and protecting the funds of the organization. Okay, wonderful. Wonderful. Well, Peter, thank you so much for, uh, for joining us today. Um, let, let listeners know, how can they get in touch with you? Sure. So we're, we're listed on the internet. We're WCATECH.com. Uh, or you can reach out to me personally. It's P Fiddler. That's F-I-D-L-E-R at WCATech.com. Uh, we're on LinkedIn. We're on Twitter. We're on all the major platforms and we, uh, you know, you should catch my article on, um, on uh, dark dark web technologies and shadow IT. I've had a couple of things out there that will find you, uh, you'll find very interesting. Well, I'll make sure to put that uh, links to that in the show notes, as well as, uh, as your contact details. Um, that's it from us. I'm Greg Cohen. This has been Conversations with Cohen. Peter Fiddler, thanks so much for your time. And we'll see you next time. Thank you very much.